right. Well, thank you, Ryan. Good opportunity to lift up great God and Savior, and, and especially looking, seeing the, uh, there's a, a theme of resurrection in there. Of course, we're anticipating the celebration of the resurrection here in about a month. And, and as we continue on in Galatians chapter 5, uh, you might remember that the, uh, the theme of this, this whole chapter, starting off in verse 1, is about the freedom that's become ours in Christ. It says, It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Christ set us free. When we put our trust in Him, when we confess, yes, I am a sinner, I deserve eternal punishment, and yet, Jesus, you have paid that price for me. You offer that to me as a free gift. I receive that. When that happens, we are set free from our penalty for our sin. But not only that, we're given the, the power, the strength to be able to be free from having to sin. But in that, that freedom from the power of sin on us, we struggle because we're not free from our flesh. We're, we're still living in these bodies that have desires. We still have minds that are stuck in a groove, right? Our sinful patterns, they're still there. And, and to be honest, as believers, we dig some new ones, don't we? We find some things that we like to do that aren't in line with who, what God's character is like, what His Word tells us is good and right. And so in that freedom, we struggle. How do we live this new good life that we've been given as a gift? And having never known anything different before we knew Christ, and now even maybe after many years of, of knowing Him, the struggle continues. And so, so Paul, having made very clear to the, the churches in the Galatian region that First of all, the new life is a gift. Both the getting that new life, being forgiven of your sins is a free gift. Getting the new gift of eternal life, it's free for all who believe, who entrust themselves to Jesus. But also, it's not by keeping the law that then you become holy. It's through a whole different process that he's described so far in this chapter as walking by the Spirit, ordering your life according to the Holy Spirit that now dwells in believers the way He directs you, according to the Word that He inspired, with the help of others who also have that, his, that Holy Spirit within them. And so we spent quite a bit of time looking at that, and more recently, the last few weeks, looking at what He calls the deeds of the flesh. He says, Here's a mirror for you. Take a look in this mirror, and before you move on, you know, like, hopefully, yeah, I think you all probably did that this morning. You looked and you said, well, my hair is not sticking way out this way, right? My collar, my, my shirt's buttoned up the right direction. My collar's not flipped over, you know, uh, not, not too dirty and scuffed up. Spiritually, the deeds of the flesh, we can use the mirror that way, right? Say, okay, is there stuff there that shouldn't be? And as we, we walked through those, that list, it's an opportunity to say, do I look like 
the person I used to be without Christ? Or do I look like who I, the new person that I've been made to be in Christ? Because if he's there and I'm walking by the Spirit, those things should start to, to fade and be, become less and less a part of my daily actions, the, the deeds, the things that I do. But now, that mirror is helpful. But he's now going to give us another mirror. This is on, on the positive side. And I think of this as a mirror maybe uh, that a child would look into. And as that child grows up, says, boy, I'm, I'm getting taller. I'm getting stronger. You know, little boys, I get some muscle, right? Look at, look at my, my hair. Look at the things that are changing. How I'm mature. I'm, I'm getting grown up. In a sense, as Paul gets to us now with the fruit of the Spirit, here's a way for us to say, if I really am in Christ, these are things that ought to be becoming evident in the way I live my life day by day, coming out from the inside. And so, uh, follow along as I read from Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 through 26. It says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. So here's this, this mirror we can it says put up in front of us. And, and there's some things to know about the mirror, first of all. It says, but. But what? what do, why but? Oh, well, he's just gone through the deeds of the flesh. There's supposed to be a contrast here, right? Here are the things you used to do out of your old self, out of your sin, out of your sinful desires, out of your wrong motivations. But, you should see a difference. But, the fruit of the Spirit is something different that should fit with, oh, by the way, did you notice, remember he, he talked about if the deeds of the flesh are there, you shouldn't expect to inherit the kingdom of God. Oh, Saying those don't, those deeds of the flesh, uh, it's not that when you sin, you said, oh no, I've lost. He's not trying to get them to, to, to doubt their salvation, but he wants them to look at the patterns of their life and say, am I looking like an adult son who is an heir of what is to come? So as a, as a son grows up and becomes more and more like his father, as he reaches that age of maturity and Things are turned over. Are you looking like someone who fits that inheritance? He says, you should. You should be looking more like the fruit of the Spirit and less like the deeds of the flesh, less like a childish, self-centered person and one who's ready to join in with the Father in the things he's doing in his kingdom. So what are these, these the fruit of the Spirit? Notice he says fruit and not deeds. It's the deeds of the flesh, but it's the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit is something that's produced from something that is living and vibrant. 
You know, the fence posts out there aren't growing any fruit. Right? They're accomplishing a few things. But there's no life there, is there? Fruit requires life. It grows up out of something that actually has some vibrancy to it. For instance, he says also that it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruits of the Spirit, so it's not as though love is a fruit and joy is a fruit and so on. But he's saying here is what is produced. And there's a sense in which these all kind of fit together and they're all linked to one another. It's not like I'm going to work on love and then, or, you know, I want to see love, and, and when love's perfected, then joy, and then, no, th- th- it's a package deal. It's like as though, if, I, if I'm holding an apple here, I'd say the fruit of the apple tree is, if it's a delicious apple or red variety, it's, it's red, it's crisp, it's tasty, it's nutritious, It's versatile. I can do all kinds of things. It's a package for delivering seeds to the soil so that new apples can be grown. The fruit of the apple tree is, and you give all those things that make up what grows out of a healthy branch that is is attached organically to the tree, to the source of life. That's what he's saying. If you are attached organically to the source of eternal life, out of you is going to come stuff that looks like this. So let's step in front of the mirror. Are you ready? First of all, the fruit of the Spirit is love. First in the list, I think, because of importance, because it's foundational, because without it, you don't end up with any of the rest. But love, of course, you've probably heard many times if you've gone to church much, it's, it's not about the emotion. But in fact, love is a choice. Love is doing what is ultimately best for the one who is loved. And how do we even know what love is without God? Without seeing him specifically break into our world and impact us at our deepest level of need. Because love doesn't even make sense without knowing God. Because we're told he is love. Uh, let's go to the passage where that's specifically said. First John chapter 4. Because here, here the, the Apostle John digs into this idea of love and we'll scratch the surface of what he has to say here in 1 John. But verses 7 through 11, it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, is the, love of, by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. 
Where do we get the love? Well, it's through that intimate, close relationship with the one who is love. The one whose ultimate demonstration of love was sending his son that he would die instead of us, that he would come and, and satisfy the wrath that we deserved. Here, here is where, where giving of self reaches its ultimate example, right? We love not because we were something, but because he first extended love our direction. That's what verse 19 says. We love because he first loved us. He is the source of love, according to this passage. If you really want love in your life, you, you can't go anywhere else. You can't dredge it up out of your feelings. You can't dredge it up out of anything innate within yourself, though there, there is a, a sense of love in all humans because they were made in the image of Christ, or of God. But ultimately, we have to find love in a relationship and a knowing God and drawing it from Him. Which is really what, verses, uh, uh, if we back up, you might have noticed I missed a point in the previous section. But John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5, fits in perfectly here as well. Same author, but telling about what Jesus had to say before he went to the cross and demonstrated exactly what love is all about. Here's how you get it. He says, I am the vine. John 15, verse 1. And my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, so neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So where does this love come from for God and for other people? Well, it's got to come because we actually are so intimately connected to him that, that we draw our life from Jesus. Because that's where love originates. That's where the whole concept begins, because he is love. If you see love anywhere in the world, it's either a reflection of him or, or it's been drawn out of him as a source. That's the kind of fruit he produces as we walk by him. And as we recognize the great love that God has for us, and we know him, and are moment by moment living in his presence, and moment by moment experiencing his love for us, seeing his love for others, it starts to flow out of us too. And then we'll start to seek ultimately what is best for others. But it's a growing thing, isn't it, right? I mean, some of you have walked with Jesus for many, many years. But I believe if you really know him, you've, you, you look back in your life and you can say, you know, he has produced love in my heart in ways and for people I would have never imagined. Love, fruit of the Spirit. The next one, joy. Or uh, you might call it delight. 
gladness or other ways that's translated. Uh, the Bible Knowledge Commentary defines this as a deep and abiding inner rejoicing, which was promised to those who abide in Christ. As long as we're in John 15, look at verse 11. It says, These things I have spoken to you so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be made full. See, it flows out of that union with Christ, just like love. That's not a reaction to outward circumstances. We often think, you know, well, I want to be happy. Well, then let's line up all my circumstances so they're the way I like them. No. no. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. It comes from a relationship with the one who, who really is joy as well. Joy is based on knowing Him and having the Holy Spirit help us understand and, and, and communicate with Him, Right? And that's why we can even do what James talks about. You know, James 1, 2 through 5. Count it all joy, my brother, when you encounter what? Various trials. <laughs> Knowing that, that those produce in you endurance. Bring you to completion. Bring you to maturity. Joy when things go wrong? Well, not out of yourself. Not as this world would have you to think. You know, things go wrong first thing in the morning. Oh, well, I'm going to have a bad day. That's not joy. Joy moves into those hard circumstances, those things not going the way I wanted them to, and says, I have an amazing God. I can consider it joy because he's going to use this to help me build up my strength, his strength working in me. I can move with, with, with gladness into this day because he's not going to leave me. He's not going to let this get me. Ultimately, even if I die today, I will continue on with joy in him. So it's not the circumstances, but it's who's with you through the circumstances that produces joy. It, it brings a confident assurance of the loving work of God in and through us, in all the circumstances, with all the people that we end up being with. We can have delight in that because of who it is we know. A third description of the fruit of the Spirit is peace. And it's not too hard to imagine or understand that peace is closely related to joy and love, right? as we love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, as we seek to love our neighbor as ourselves, as we rejoice moving into whatever circumstances we're brought, God pulls us together, you could say. That's the idea of peace. Rather than being scattered, rather than being totally distracted by every little thing that, that might grab our attention, peace is that pulling us together in Christ. In fact, I go here a lot, I imagine. You probably know Philippians 4, 4 through 9 is going to come up when we talk about peace because it, it takes love, joy, and peace all together. And let's just go read those verses again. Philippians 4, you probably are familiar with them on your own as well. But it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Oh, there's joy, right? Let your gentle spirit be known to all. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't be pulled in many directions. 
concerned about what might be, be anxious for nothing but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God. Oh, peace of God is coming out of that relationship you're having with him, right? Of asking him, of praising him, of relying on him. As you do that, it says, and verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So there's Spirit producing peace as we depend on the Lord, but then, can, then our minds have a role there as well, right? Verse 8, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence, if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Where do you let your mind come back around and around and around to? If it's things of this quality, of this character, peace is going to be with you. Not change circumstances, like we talked about with joy either. Peace is there because he, in his in the relationship with us, demonstrates his love for us and pulls us together as we see what is real and true and what is best. It's produced in us. It flows out of his relationship as well. And he binds us together with a kind of confident assurance as we rely on him in every little thing. Moving on in Galatians, the next part of the fruit of the Spirit, patience. So even how we understand difficult people is impacted by what the Spirit produces in us, right? Uh, when we order our lives in an intimate relationship with him, maybe one of the things we figure out, first of all, is that we're one of those difficult people. But I find that the King James translation of this word helpful. It, it uses the word long-suffering. Because the Greek word really has to do with interacting with people. It's not, not being patient with circumstances or hard things. But this word patience, this fruit of the Spirit that's being talked about, it's talking about dealing with people, and it's difficult to deal with those people. And it shouldn't be a surprise, since so many of the deeds of the flesh were relationship busters, right? Talked about all the division, and all the strife, and the anger, and the things that are, are deeds of the flesh. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit that helps us to deal with people who are doing the deeds of the flesh. And we don't get that by just bearing down and saying, oh, I will get through this with this person. We gain patience by an intimate relationship with the most patient one, right? You know, you bring those first three characteristics, love, joy, peace, together, and we see where patience can come from. Those three transform our perception of those that we don't want to treat patiently. True love, joy, and peace take the edge off the trial of people being different than we want them to be and should push us closer to our Savior and not over the edge. I know I'm especially helped in this area when I realize just how long-suffering, how long-suffering God has been with me. He has put up with me 
over all these decades, all these years, and my sinfulness, and I keep coming back to the same sins again and again, and, and he keeps saying, oh, I'm, I'm changing you. Keep, keep your eyes on me. Keep listening to my word. Keep listening to my spirit. Keep doing the things that you know are truly good and right. And he's done that with me. How can I not have that same kind of patience with others? Well, sometimes I don't, right? The fruit's growing. But praise God, he's, he's doing that. Believe it or not, I didn't, I used to be less patient than I am now. How about you? If you're in Christ, has, has he been growing that fruit? Should be expecting to see it coming. If not, press harder into him, not pressing into trying, I'm going to be more patient. No. Press into him and knowing him because he is the one who is patient. Uh, put the next two together here because they're very similar. Kindness and goodness. But there are a couple of distinctions between them. And really, they're just love put into action, right? Being kind to people flows out of the fact that you love them. And you want what is best or what is good for them. Kindness has aspects of pleasantness to it, I think. It often comes at a cost to the one who is being kind. And it does require selfless thought. We're not kind to people just by going about our, our, our own business, right? We have to stop and think, well, what's that person, what's going on in that person's life that I can help them in some way? That I can make their day a little lighter? That I can point them to Christ? That I can lighten their load, okay? It's gonna cost us something. It's gonna require a certain amount of thought, but it flows out of love as well. Goodness is a more general term, but, but very closely related. But it may include some actions that may not seem kind, but are done because in character they are good. For example, discipline and correction. Those are good, aren't they? They turn us away from sin. But they may not be seen as kind by the person we might have to correct. But they are good, and they bring about a result that flows from love. Uh, Hebrews 12, verses 10 and 11 talks about that. Here it's using uh, the di discipline of parents as an example. Uh, Hebrews 12, verses 10 and 11. Here, speaking of parents, it says, They disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he, God, disciplines us for our good so that we may share his holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet to those who have been trained by it, afterwards it yields, what? The peaceful fruit of righteousness. So goodness growing up out of our lives sometimes means we, we have to do things with people that, that aren't all that pleasant, that aren't seen as joyful, and yet may make a huge difference in their life. May help them in the long run be able to have some, of the, some more joy. May have a closer relationship with God. May be able to clear out some of those deeds of the flesh that aren't characteristic of someone who knows our God. 
They end in joy and peace, maybe even patience later on for them, right? Next, fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness, which is certainly a characteristic of God. Um, He's bringing it out in, in the lives of those who walk by His Spirit with Him. In Revelation 19.11, Jesus is called faithful and true. It's interesting. When he comes to judge the earth, the name that he's given, faithful and true. As we come to know him and trust him for more of life, we become more reliable and trustworthy ourselves because we rely on his strength to accomplish what he has for us to do instead of relying on our own strength. I think we also become more faithful. He he brings that faithfulness out in us because we realize our own tiny bit of strength, but his immense kind of strength. We don't make promises that we will do. Right? So easy to make promises because we want to please people. So easy to make promises because we want to placate people who we're afraid of. But a faithful person says, I don't know if that will, I can do that. But let's go to the Lord. He is the faithful one. And he'll bring about what's best. Or, I don't know if that's going to happen. But if it's good, God is powerful enough to make it happen. And if, if he strengthens me to do it, I will do it. There's a sense in which faithfulness doesn't make promises that it can't keep. But it does point to the most faithful one all the time. Keep saying, well, God is faithful. And I'm going to walk with him. And by his grace, I will do what's good for you, what's best for you. And then we have gentleness and self-control that rounds out this mirror we're looking at. And both of these have to do with power. Doesn't sound like it, does it? Gentleness? That has to do with power? Self-control, yeah, because both of these have to do with having access to great amounts of power. When we know the king of the universe, the creator of all that there is, the one who holds it all together by his word, who does anything simply because he pleases to do it, is there power there? There is. Does he love us? He does. Does he care for us? Is he faithful? He is. So now when we deal with other people, can we be gentle with them? We can. Who do we usually think of when we hear gentle? Oh, well, he was so gentle with that baby. Oh, why can I be gentle with that baby? Well, I'm so much much stronger, right? Oh, and in my strength, does that mean I now use that strength? With the baby? No. No, I, I give that baby what it needs in, in a gentleness because I do have the strength to do what it needs. Okay? I'm not afraid. But it also allows me to be gentle with someone I perceive as very strong and powerful. Because I'm in Christ, no matter how strong or powerful they may be, I can give a gentle answer. I can give a gentle word not based on my power, but based on the power of God. I don't have to try to blow them back with strong words. I don't have to to try to push them down with harsh things. No, I can actually be gentle with the person who is angry by God's strength. 
I can be gentle with the person that I'm afraid of because I, have, I fear God more. So gentleness flows out, and it's, it's probably one of the most amazing fruits because it's, I don't know, maybe it's kind of rare. Because some gentleness, some of what looks like gentleness is really just fear. And I'm afraid of you, so I'm going to handle you with kid gloves. Uh, but the gentleness that is the fruit of the Spirit comes with confidence and peace and faithfulness, right? And self-control is also has to do with power. The power of God is at work in me. Therefore, the things that I need to hold back about my desires, the things I need to hold back that I'm going to do that aren't going to be so good for other people, I have the power of Christ to control those. So we can take the time and control both our reaction to people that we fear, but also our own strong desires. It can even make us self-sacrificing that power, can't it? Because I don't have to fear that I'm going to give up everything that I have because I have an infinite power, a source of power in Christ, in my relationship with him. So I can even be self-sacrificing, give up more than I think I can afford to, if that's what God desires me to do. So self-control is really a cooperation of our will with the will of the all-powerful Holy Spirit to keep ourselves from living for our own desires and instead getting to go and do the amazing things that he has planned for us. Not an exhaustive list of what the fruit of the Spirit is like. I think you could find other things that, that God brings out in our hearts and lives, but a great mirror to say, is he changing me? Is he bringing these things out in my life? Well, it's evidence that I am walking by the Spirit, that I am in an intimate relationship with him, drawing my life from him. And then Paul brings it all back around to this whole idea of law. If we go back to Galatians chapter 5, the end of verse 23, after listing all these things, he says, against such things there is no law. So you see why you don't have to, Galatians, be concerned about being under the Old Testament law? Because if you are walking by the Spirit, if you are immersed in Him for your life, you're not worried about, oh, have I, have I checked off the things on this list of do's and don'ts? Well, no, if you're living, walking by the Spirit, and these things are, are being developed in your life, there's no law about the things against the things you're going to be doing. Your focus isn't on, on, on the law, but it's on the one who changes your life and brings out what is truly good in you. In fact, 1 Timothy 1, verses 5 through 11 uh, is another, another place to help, kind of pulls all this together. 1 Timothy 1, 5 through 11. It says, But the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Sounds like that fruit of the Spirit, right? We teach you these things because we want these kind of things to be a part of your daily life. Verse 6, For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless... Wow, what kind, of, what kind of discussion? Fruitless discussion. Wanting to be teachers of the law, even though they do not understand either what they are saying or the matters about which they make confident assertions. But we know that the law is good if it is used lawfully. Oh, Paul laid out what the law was good for, right? 
showing us our need for a Savior. Okay? Use it for that purpose. It's very effective. Verse 9, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for immoral men and homosexuals and kidnappers and liars and perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, with which I have been entrusted. Yeah, the law is not there to make you holy. It's there to show you how you're not holy. So if you're living by the Spirit, and you're doing the things that the Spirit directs you according to His Word, there's no law against what God will be having you do. So pull up this mirror. Say, are these things increasing in my life? Is God bringing them... Okay? If not, let's press in further into the relationship. Let's confess our sins, our deeds of the flesh. Let's be in his word more fully and more greatly. Be with his people, right? There is no law against these kinds of things. Because verse 24, back to Galatians again, chapter 5, tells us that the, those passions, those desires that we once were driven by, we're crucified. He says, now those who belong to Christ Jesus have, been, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Words, when, you, when you went to Jesus and you said, I receive your gift of having paid for my sins, that old self you used to be got stuck up on the cross with Jesus and died. Your death that you deserved, he took it on. It's like you put that all up there with him, on him, as he died, and because you believed him, that's, that's where it is. There's two critical aspects that he says that, that died with that old self. Our, the, its passions, uh, the flesh, those, those patterns of sins, had strong emotions, right? So often you, you, you were pulled along by those emotions, and you said, how did I get here? Didn't even intend to do this. Well, he, he says, I want you to consider that your old man died, therefore its strong emotions were put to death at the cross. Consider that to be so. Live according to that. And you say, well, but they're still there. I still have this strong... Come back. Say, so you're, you're dead. You feelings that drag me into the, to the grave. Consider them to be dead. And in time, as you walk by the Spirit, you will find that those strong emotions gets, get less strong. They weaken, and they weaken. And you develop new passions, new strong emotions toward the things of God, toward the things of Christ. But also the desires. Right? Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will do what? Give you the desires of your heart. I don't think it means it's go he's going to give you sinful things that you want. He's going to change what you want strongly. Keep that in mind as you walk with the Spirit, as you spend time in the Word, as you draw your life from Christ. Consider those things dead. And verse 25 then says, if we live, in other words, if we are alive as new people by the Spirit. Is that true? Yes. It wasn't because you did something good, right? It wasn't because you're better than somebody else. It's not because you kept the law. 
Now, if you are alive spiritually today, the Holy Spirit did that in you when you believed. Well, if that's where the life is, where should you go? If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. And I like the way the New International Version translates it. If we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Because this is a different word than we had earlier for walk. This one literally means to walk in a line behind. In other words, just step by step, right behind the Spirit. Not, not getting far, too far back, because I want to make sure every single step is right where he wants me to step. I don't know if any of you wrote, watched the Paralympic Games that were just held in, in uh, China. But if you watched the, 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 the visually impaired skiers, and these are people, they weren't, they weren't totally blind. They had a certain amount of vision. They could see, you know, maybe if, several feet in front of them. They all had a person who was a guide. And whether they were cross-country skiers, they had that guide right in front of them. They could see right where it is they should go. That person was being their eyes, showing them where to go, and they're talking continually. Now, the cross-country skiers, that was pretty impressive. But then you got the downhill skiers. And not just downhill, you know, but they're doing, doing all the, the back and forth through the flags. What's that called again? The slalom. They had a guide taking them through the slalom at speeds of 50, 60, and more miles per hour. So what do you need in a guide? Well, I want somebody who's a better skier than I am, right? And I have to find someone who is completely and totally trustworthy. Because if they're off, I'm in big trouble. And that's exactly what's, going, what's being said here. If you're alive because of the Spirit, you follow him just like that, those skiers followed their guide down the mountain. You stick to him like glue, right? And you trust, and you keep talking. In fact, now they even use headsets to be able to talk to each other as they're going. They always want to know what's, what's going on and what, they're, what they're, they need and what the, the person in front of them is seeing. If you live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Follow him. Stick with him like glue. That's the way of life. That's the way of a fruitful life produced by the Spirit. Now, there's one more point before the chapter ends. It says, having told you all of this, and what it's about, he says, let us not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. And I sum that up in two words, stop it. Stop it. This is what you're doing. Because you've decided you've got to follow the law, you know what happens? You're picking each other apart about, well, are they following the law? Are they doing all the commandments? Well, what if you do it this way? Is that still breaking that? See, stop it. Stop challenging one another. Stop envying one another. Well, they, they do this, but I can't do that. There's so much, when, when you live by the law, it turns you into bickering people. And he says, stop it. Walk by the Spirit. And in walking by the Spirit, let love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control flow out of you into your relationships with one another. 
And finally, just remember that all of this is happening in the in and out of every moment of every day. It's a process, it's a growing thing that happens over the course of our lives. It's not a magic formula. This is life with our hearts and minds in tune with God. And in a sinful world full of distractions, right? So to live this way requires purpose. It requires thinking ahead, right? It requires trust. It requires good patterns of life that we develop in place of the old patterns of sin. And it requires being with other believers who are also walking in step with the Spirit along with us. There's the design for a life of freedom, a life of liberty, a life that's rich and full of the fruit that God has for us. Walk, walk together in it. Let's pray. Father, you are, we see again, so good to produce this kind of fruit in our hearts and our lives. Uh, we never experienced this without you, and we will never, ex never experience it without leaning into you and on you and drawing our life from you. It's so easy to get distracted, so I pray, Lord, just keep your spirit uh, nudging us and, and telling us uh, through your word, through other people, through um, our, our time in prayer with, with you, that, uh, that you, life with you is the life that is truly good. That nothing in this world can take away what is truly good from us. But in you, it is always there. Help us to grow in it. Help, help our fruit uh, to be more and more evident for your glory and, and just to show to others around us what a, an amazing thing you have done in, in giving us this, this walk of faith. Thank you for it again. And ask these things in Jesus' name.